Hey, everybody, and welcome to Quarantine Stuff You Should Know. Hey, I'm sorry it's been so long. Uh, We had last week and Monday and Tuesday of this week thesis celebrations at Veritas Academy. And so while I was off the air, I was attending theses and adjudicating and doing all kinds of behind the scenes stuff for that. So I'm, I'm sorry I haven't been able to release episodes. I totally forgot that it would happen sort of in the middle of quarantine. Quarantine for us ends tomorrow, at least the shelter in place restrictions. And I am going to check with the guys and see if we can do episodes or not. I will try to keep episodes coming until we can resume normal classical stuff. You should know podcasting. I don't want you guys to be left without anything to do like I did to you this past week and a half. And for that, again, I am sorry. I am sorry for that. Turns out that I can't do all day school and then also thesis and then also get episodes up. It's just it's it's a lot during quarantine. But that's the bad news. The good news is I am back with another episode of Quarantine Stuff You Should Know, and this one is a bit of a long one. It's kind of a doozy. So buckle up here. If you are new to the podcast, this is not our regular thing. So you might want to go back and listen to our normal classical stuff you should know episodes. This is just something I'm doing while I can't meet with the other guys during quarantine. I'm bringing you stories from the Decameron. And this is story number three from day two. So this is our 13th story. I hope you're ready because I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Uh, Everybody had heard the previous story and thought that the lady was smart for having taken... uh, let Let me start this over. Everyone had enjoyed the previous story and thought the lady was smart for having taken advantage of the gift that God had sent her. They also openly praised God and St. Julian for taking care of our intrepid traveler. Pampanea, the previous day's queen, was next to tell her story, so she collected her thoughts and then began. Worthy ladies, and as a pause here, remember that this whole book is written to ladies, so it's if each story begins with worthy ladies. Well, remember, there are seven ladies in the crew that they are talking to, and this book itself is addressed to ladies. So it makes sense. Anyway, worthy ladies, if you look carefully at the ways of fortune, the more we talk about what she does, the more there's left to say. And everything that we foolish call our own possession really rests in her hands, not ours. And I will add my story to all of those you've heard before that prove this. And hopefully you listeners will find it enjoyable and, you know, maybe beneficial. There might be something to learn. So there was once in our city of Florence, a nobleman named Messer Tabaldo, who was of the Lamberti family, though some say that he was Agalanti based on the fact that his sons eventually practiced the same trade that the Agalanti do. He was one of the richest noblemen of his day and had three sons, Lamberto, Tedaldo and Agolanti. They were all fashionable and handsome. The oldest one was not yet 18, and when the, that was when their dad died and left them an immense fortune and a ton of property. And they, as any good 17 and younger boys would do, spent recklessly. They established a large household full of servants, they bought fine horses, they had dogs, and they had birds, they held court all the time, They gave away presents and sponsored tournaments. And between you and me, you know how expensive birds can be. That was my own little addition there. Anyway, they not only did what befits gentlemen, but anything that their youthful hearts wanted to do or thought that would bring them pleasure, they did. And they had not been leading this life very long when their fortune left them and they couldn't meet their commitments. 
So they began borrowing money and pawning all their goods. And then eventually, facing bankruptcy, they saw poverty looming in the distance. So Lamberto called together his two brothers and contrasted the father's lifestyle with theirs and then spoke of all their previous wealth and how they had been spending it pretty crazy. And he said, look, boys, here's what we're going to do. Let's sell all we have and get out of Dodge before anyone realizes that we're totally destitute. So they did. They sold all they had and they disappeared before anyone realized what was happening. They went and they took a, a little house in London, reduced their expenditures to an absolute minimum, and devoted themselves to lending money at high rates of interest. Their fortunes began to return. Fortune herself smiled on them, and they accumulated a huge sum of money. They could return to Florence, which they did. They bought back most of their possessions, as well as a ton of other things, and they got married. And they sent one of their nephews, a young fellow named Alessandro, to man manage it all while they were in Florence. They forgot that the previous destitution that their spending had brought them to, and so they resumed their previous habits of spending. And despite, at this point, having families, they spent more than ever, even though they were supposed to be responsible. And everyone saw that they were spending more than ever, and so they were offered credit all over the city which they took advantage of. They borrowed huge sums of money, but they could still meet their expenses with funds sent to them by their lending business up in London by their nephew Alessandro. Alessandro loaned to noblemen, and the loans were all secured by the castles, and he had revenues from all of their previous properties, and so he brought in a pretty respectable profit. And so the brothers, the three brothers in Florence, continued to spend lavishly, and they always relied on England to settle their debts until England was sunk into war. The English king and his son went at it, and it split the entire island in two. Some joined the king, and some joined the son, and it was pretty terrible, and it resulted in all the nobleman's castles being taken from Alessandro, and he was left with really no other source of income. He stayed there, hoping they would make peace. And the three brothers in Florence just kept on borrowing money more and more, as the years passed, and the brothers' expectations didn't really bear fruit, no money was coming in, they lost their credit, and those who had loaned them money all of a sudden started demanding payment, as will happen. The three brothers could not meet their debts, and so they were arrested and chucked into jail. Their stuff was sold, but it wasn't enough to meet the debt, so they had to stay in prison for what they were owed, and their families wandered the countryside in rags, from one place to another, with nothing to look forward to except a life of abject poverty. And peace in England never came. Alessandro concluded that staying there and just waiting for peace was both futile and dangerous, so he set off from Bruges, and as he traveled, he saw an abbot and a group of monks with a ton of servants and a huge baggage train. And he thought, hey, why don't I travel with these guys? And he saw among them two elderly knights that he knew, relatives of the king, and he greeted them as acquaintances, and they brought him into the crew. And so he was traveling with this abbot and his large train. As he traveled, he questioned the knights. The knights said that the person they were with was a young relation of theirs, just appointed abbot to one of the largest abbeys in England, but he was under the legal age allowable for an abbot, so they had decided to go to Rome to get the go-ahead that it was okay from the pope. And, as will happen as you travel, people sort of switched up, and the abbot eventually fell back and drew side to side with Alessandro, who, by the way, was handsome, well-built, 
polite, agreeable, well-mannered, just everything you might want in a guy, and the abbot liked what he saw, and called Alessandro to his side and struck up some conversation, asked about his business. Alessandro answered and explained all that had happened to him and all that he was facing back in London, and offered the abbot any service he was able to to render. Sorry. Um, The abbot observed his manners more and more and saw that he was a gentleman, despite the base nature of his his occupation, and was even more warmly attracted to him. He gave some affectionate words. Don't give up, Alessandro. God will help the worthy and will raise you from where fortune has cast you down. So why don't you join my train? Come travel with us. Alessandro said, absolutely, I am entirely at your disposal. I mean, he wasn't really going back to much in Florence anyway. The abbot had all kinds of new emotions that he was dealing with. They arrived in a small town, and Alessandro had him dismount at the home of an innkeeper who happened to be a close friend, and arranged for a comfortable room in the comfiest part of the house. And by this time, Alessandro had been such an established traveler that he had practically become the majordomo for the abbot, which is the manager of his household. And so he tried to find lodging for the whole company. So he got the abbot situated, he got all the travelers situated, he got the knights situated, he got the baggage situated, and when it was done, it was late. The abbot had eaten already, and everyone was off to bed. So Alessandro asked the innkeeper where he could sleep. To be honest, I don't know, said the innkeeper. You can see we're completely full. I myself am going to have to sleep on some benches with my family. Still, in the abbot's room, there are some bins for storing grain, if you like. I can take you there and fix up some sort of bed for you to sleep on tonight as best you can. How, and and Alessandro responds, how am I going to squeeze into the abbot's room? You know how tiny it is. It's so narrow that none of his monks could lie down in it. If I'd noticed the grain bins when the abbot had, abbot's bed had, uh, sorry, when the abbot's bed's curtains were drawn, I could have had some of his monks sleep in them and I would have slept where they are now. The innkeeper said, well, that's just the way it is. You can pass a very good night in there if you want. The abbot's asleep and all six curtains are drawn around his bed, so I'll be really quiet and just put down down a nice little pallet for you to sleep on. And that seemed like a plan. The abbot, however, was not sleeping, but meditating on all sorts of new desires. He heard what the innkeeper had said to Alessandro, and he realized where Alessandro was going to sleep and was delighted. God has given me this opportunity, and if I don't make use of it, it may be a long time before another one like it comes my way and he took his chance. And listener, I'm going to skip over some stuff here. Let's just say that he was insistent, and Alessandro went and started to sleep next to him, and turns out, Abbott's a girl. And so she explained to him, I left my home and was going to the Pope to arrange for my marriage. Now, I don't know whether it's your good luck or my misfortune, but when I saw you the other day, love kindled such a fire in me that no woman has ever burned with so much passion for a man as I do for you. Therefore, I've resolved to have you, rather than someone else, as my husband. But if you don't want me as your wife, you must leave here at once and go back to the place you just came from. She was pretty, she appeared to be wealthy, and so Alessandro said if she liked the idea, so did he. And I'm going to skip over the rest, but let's just say they, from then on, were married and did some planning for how they were going to deal with that in the morning. So at daybreak, he snuck out of the room so nobody was the wiser that they had been been married. And when they arrived in Rome, they established an audience with the Pope, with the two knights. So the girl, Alessandra, and the two knights. The abbot began her speech. Holy Father, as you yourself know better than anyone... 
A person who desires to live a good and honorable life should do his utmost to avoid any motive for behaving differently. Now, since I really do desire to live such a life, I fled here in secret, wearing only the clothes you see I have on, so that your holiness could arrange for my marriage. I also brought along a substantial portion of the treasures belonging to my father, who wanted me to marry the King of Scotland, who is a very elderly man, whereas I'm a young girl, as you can see. Nevertheless, I did not flee because the King of Scotland is old, but because I feared that if I were married to him, the frailty of my youth would lead me to do something contrary to divine law and against the honor of my father's royal blood. This was my frame of mind on my way here, when God, who knows best what each one of us needs, was moved by his compassion to set before my eyes the man whom he chose to be my husband, and that man was this youth whom you see beside me, someone whose character and manners make him a worthy match for a great lady, even though he may not be as pure-blooded as a member of some royal family. He, therefore, is the one I've chosen, the only one I really want, and I will never accept another, no matter what my father or anyone else may think about it. Although the principal reason for my coming to Rome was thus removed, I still wanted to complete my journey in order to meet with your holiness, as well as to visit all the holiest and most venerable sites that abound in this city. But I also wanted to complete it so that through your good offices, I could make public before you and thus before all men the marriage Alessandro and I have contracted in the sight of God alone. I beseech you that what has been pleasing to God and to me should also find favor with you. And I humbly beg you to bestow your blessing on us. For if we have that, then we may be more certain of God's approval, since you are his vicar. And may we live our lives together to the glory not only of God, but also of you yourself. Till death do us part. Alessandro, we shall say, was shocked to find that she was the daughter of the King of England. He was, understandably, overjoyed. The knights, though, were furious, and if they had not been in front of the Pope, probably would have harmed him and maybe the girl too. The Pope, though, decided, since there was obviously no turning back and the marriage had already been accomplished, to grant her request. He pacified the knights, ordered a magnificent ceremony, and all the cardinals and other gentlemen were invited to attend. She wore regal robes on the wedding day and appeared so beautiful and charming that she deserved the praise of everyone there. Alessandro and the knights came out, and he looked like a prince, well-dressed, well-mannered, fitting to go along with the princess. The Pope did the entire ceremony, followed it with a feast, after which he gave them his blessing, and they left. After this, they went to Florence, and with some of her abundant cash, freed the brothers, paid their debts, and had their possessions restored. Then they went to Paris, took along the brother Agolante, and were received by the French king, and that turned out pretty nice too. The knights, while they were in Paris, went ahead to England and talked to the king, and sort of worked his attitude so that by the time the princess and Alessandro arrived, he had prepared a festival of welcome for her and knighted Alessandro with pomp and ceremony, made him the Earl of Cornwall. Alessandro helped broker a peace between this great English king and the son he had been warring with, and because he had brought peace to the country, everybody loved him. Everybody thought, what a great guy, this new Earl of Cornwall, doing a great job, this guy. Egalante recovered all that he had wanted and returned to Florence after being knighted by his nephew, Alessandro. And Alessandro himself lived a marvelous life, 
And some say that with his own wisdom and smarts, and with the help of his father-in-law, the king, he later conquered Scotland and was crowned king himself. And that is the story of how Alessandro may have become the king of Scotland. All right. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I did a decent job of censoring there. And I hope that you guys are still doing okay in quarantine. I apologize again for having it be so long between episodes. I will try my best to keep them coming. Though, you know, we're in we're in the end games now and it's getting pretty busy for school. So I'll do what I can. And I hope you are holding up out there. Man, stay safe, especially as they ease regulations here in the U.S. I don't know how it's going in some other, other spots, but my prayers go out to all of you. So stay safe and... I'll see you again soon with some more Decameron. This is AJ signing out. Goodbye.